0: I'm Eric Bricker, and I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. One thing I can tell you for certain is that no one makes it through life unscathed. At some point, many of us will rely on the trusted counsel of another person to help us navigate difficult times, or to reconcile a troubled past. Whether conventional or unconventional, professional or informal, there are a lot of different forms that helping relationships can take. This podcast is an exploration into what makes these relationships work. Who are the people that help us? How do they help us? And what do people need help with? My hope is to uncover as much as I can about this very human phenomenon, and I hope that you'll join me. This is the Good Counsel Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Don Chico joining us here on the Good Counsel Podcast. Don, thank you so much for coming out on a Saturday.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure.
0: I know you're a busy lady, so I really do appreciate you coming out here and uh, doing this with me.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: So you are now doing your own thing. You have a consulting group and a private practice, the Presto Group. You want to talk a little bit about that before we dive into this?
1: Sure. So the Presto Group right now offers individual couples and family therapy. I'm also a qualified supervisor for social work interns, so I have several up-and-coming therapists that I work with, and we do consulting in a variety of places. Currently, I've had the opportunity to do consulting with a marketing company who's working with the CDC on prevention and education, which is thrilling to be able to use my experience that way. So that's, that's the Presto Group, and that's what I've been doing after 26 years working in the treatment facilities.
0: Oh, wow. That's really cool.
1: It is so exciting to be a part of that because you're talking to individuals who really don't live in the world of substance abuse and mental health, you know, and they have to come up with something to catch everybody's eye. So they're doing a campaign on prevention for overdose. So it's really just about education and harm reduction. So I get to be that voice of experience of these are the things you're looking for. These are the folks you're talking to. This is some of the information that has to come off that page so everybody understands how to stay ahead of this and do some more prevention. So it's fun. How did you
0: get the name Presto?
1: Oh, it's it's uh, an homage to uh, Rush, Presto.
0: Oh, come on.
1: Yeah, and my tagline is also from Rush, Grace Under Pressure.
0: Oh, look at that.
1: Yeah, which I think Rush does a phenomenal job When some of their songs about DBT. um, I mean, they have this one song called Cold Fire, which is really about the dialectics of two opposite things living in the same space. Um, But yeah, Presto Group came from Rush. My husband introduced me to Rush a long time ago, and we've just had a love affair with Rush.
0: You're a big fan.
1: Big fan. My husband's a bigger fan, but yes, I'm a big fan. I love them.
0: I'm a fan of Rush, and I like them. I always like them. Uh, I'm a bass player, and yeah. oh. so if you're a bass player, you kind of have to. Rush has to be on your radar you because Getty Lee is yeah. pretty phenomenal. A uh, guy who could play uh, play bass, play keyboards, and sing all simultaneously uh,
1: while hitting those things with his feet and doing a whole bunch of other background sounds. I mean, he's a he's an anomaly of a human.
0: Talented guy. God. Uh, Adam Saslov also a really big fan yes and we've gone to see them together and
1: yes you guys were at a show that my husband was at recently
0: right and that was Primus yes basically covering Russia's Rush. first album yes. Farewell to Kings which is kind of crazy that yes. they did that. And we liked it so much, we're going to go again in Miami in May.
1: <sighs> That's awesome. They're coming
0: back around, so they're doing another show of that. Because <sighs> I like Primus, too. Just, That's, yes, they've been around phenomenal. forever, right? Yeah, they're pretty phenomenal.
1: Yeah, our, my husband and I, are most um, one of our proud parenting moments was bringing our daughters to the R40 concert, which ended up being their last tour rush's last tour in tampa so they had their headphones on so we didn't kill their ears they were little and they made it through that whole concert we were getting high fives from rush fans telling us what awesome parents we are i mean i felt so good about myself in that moment in time but they got to see rush in concert, so i feel like they've peaked out on some really good stadium tours
0: that's really cool yeah there are uh, a couple of tribute bands that come around that yeah. do Rush covers. We'll have to. And I, I checked one out. They're pretty good. Yeah,
1: they're that's pretty awesome. good.
0: Yeah, when they when these guys come around, if it's on like a weekend night, yeah, I'll, we'll have to go. Yeah, well, um, next time we do it, because if they're coming around, especially now that there's no Rush,
1: yes, there's no Rush.
0: I know no. I can get Adam to go.
1: Most definitely, and I could probably get my husband to go too.
0: So if that's ever happening, you'll be included on those tags. Oh, thank we'll you, see thank about you. Yes, getting over there.
1: We used to watch a tribute band. When we were in, what, the 2000s, end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s on Long Island, uh, there was a Rush tribute band that we used to watch um, in between being able to go to the, the concerts, which they were phenomenal too, which if you closed your eyes, you were like, oh my God, this is, this is Getty singing. So yeah. So that's, that's where Presto Group came from.
0: You and I met better than 10 years ago. I was with the Seminole Tribe. And I was a behavioral health care administrator within the Family Services Department. And at that time, you were the clinical director for Life Skills. Yes. And Life Skills is a program for comorbid psychiatric and substance use disorders. Yes. And it's a special program because it's very heavy lifting. And really, for a lot of these folks, this is that last level of intervention that kind of keeps you out of the psychiatric hospital. So it's an alternative to that to keep you in the lowest restrictive level of care. It's kind of an important element of behavioral health care. It's really what a lot of these partial hospitalization programs and day programs aim to do. And so you were there at... One of the very best, and you were the clinical director of it. So, a lot of our more complex cases were being referred to Life Skills. Yeah. And so, I had cause to communicate with the agency because there's always something to talk about with the referred cases. And I just remember talking to you and really being impressed with how. Present and on top of these cases, you were, your ability to conceptualize them, to handle complicated situations, to be creative and pragmatic about finding solutions, all of those things. I was very comforted and immediately impressed by you.
1: Thank you. That's really nice. Thanks.
0: Well, I really was. And when you talk to so many different people Mm -hmm. from so many different agencies, you learn to make those distinctions. Because there were a lot of phone calls I made where I did not experience that on the other end.
1: Sadly, I'm sure, yes.
0: And you come away from that phone call like, okay, I'm on my own here.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) I'm treading water to figure this out,
0: yes. To figure out what to do in this person's facility from out here. Yes. That's going to be a challenge. But never that with you. And so I was always impressed with you and had that belief and thought about you. And we built a colleague relationship through that. And then I saw you present a little bit later on dialectic behavior therapy. And I think you were still with Life Skills at the time. And I was still with the Seminole Tribe. And that was really my first exposure to it. And I was really, really impressed with your knowledge of it and what it was and your passion for it. You compelled me. I wanted to know more. Because theories and new models of therapy come and go and enter into vogue all of the time. And there are are those few that really stand the test of time. But when I heard about DBT from you, dialectic behavior therapy and Marsha Linehan's work and how passionate you were about it and how you were on top of it and involved in it and promoting it and using it and using it successfully with this high acuity population, that really got my attention
1: that's awesome
0: and yeah I did and I was like this is something gonna be around for a while
1: most definitely and it keeps evolving which is so phenomenal and you can put it towards anything which is quite amazing that's amazing that you were there that was one of my first presentations I have ever done out in the public outside of a treatment facility I was a nervous wreck and I think Ray Estefania was there uh and I think I had to go right after him and he was dynamic presenter of like oh god I I was the cleanup act is how how that felt but um that's nice I'm glad that it stuck in your head and, and made a mark
0: well it was because of my whole experience and relationship with you prior to that time I remember thinking about it saying to myself if this lady says that this is important and we should be paying attention to this and knowing something about it and I know where she works and I know what she's doing Then this is important. We need to pay attention. I need to know more about what is dialectic behavior therapy. Yeah, that's awesome. Especially if I'm the one from our agency that needs to be kind of on the cutting edge of knowing what's available in the community and who's offering it. Right. So all of that was important to me. Yeah. And when I was hearing it from you, that's instant credibility to me. That's
1: awesome. Well, thank you.
0: So then later on, you and I are working together at Karen Renaissance. Yes. Yes and i now i have an opportunity to see you do it and i'm working and some of my clients are being treated by the dbt team so i'm more integrated into the work that you're doing i have a a better view i can see what's actually going on how it works and participating in it i did the 18-hour course myself so now i'm a partner of all of this work that's happening in the treatment center and we're co-casing these cases. Yep. And you're also working with the families at that time, too. Most of yes. Because you were the family therapist, one of the therapy, the family therapists. Correct. And so all of that brought us a little bit closer together, working together. And I was really excited to have that opportunity because I knew you. Yeah. And I knew what you could do and who you were. So to me, you were another one of these people that if i'm going to be working in an agency these are the types of people i want to be surrounded by
1: that's awesome that's nice to hear thanks you never really know how you impact people or how people see you i mean i i see myself as a fumbling individual at times so to to know that there was an impact that i made an impact and that i my excitement about something or my passion about something kind of ignited it for you is very exciting and it was so fun to work with you
0: That's it. I I invited you out here to interview with me on a Saturday to tell you that I don't really think you're all that interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, there's not much there. (laughs) But why do you do this (laughs) anyway? Why are you still doing this? (laughs) That would be a terrible thing (laughs) to do. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: I was uh, obviously very excited to have you come and then talk to you more about it, especially with all that shared experience. Because I try to cover different behavioral healthcare topics on the right. podcast. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to do one on DBT because it's so relevant. Cool. And I just knew that you would be the person.
1: Awesome. I love talking about it. So,
0: so where do we want to begin? What's a, How do we want to introduce this?
1: Maybe a good place to introduce it is just the... Maybe just the basics. So the basics are dbt is cbt cognitive behavioral therapy meets zen is a nice way of just giving you that's the that's the foundation of it
0: there's definitely an influence from mindfulness yes and even some of that buddhist practice that's definitely in there
1: most definitely and that that actually is what Um, propels all of the work that you're doing because you're always coming back to mindfulness Um, and it's such a wonderful tool not only for a client to learn it's so wonderful for a therapist because we need to be practicing mindfulness staying in a story with someone, hearing how they're experiencing the reality so that we can help them identify what's effective, what's ineffective, and hey, I have a skill that might be helpful with that. Which somebody can walk out and they actually have a blueprint, so which is awesome that you can say, Here, try this, practice this, we'll come back and we'll talk about it and see how you did with it. And it's just wonderful that somebody actually has something tangible when they walk out. It's not just processing a thought and a feeling. I actually now have an action plan. So DBT gives you that, has that framework, that's the foundation. And then that mindfulness piece allows people to understand they have three forms of their brain. We have an emotional mind, we, we have a rational mind, and then the hope is that we blend those two pumpkins together and we bring about a wise mind and it's about that practice of achieving, being wise in all the things that we do. So that's the ultimate goal of DBT. And with everything I just said, that can be applied to everything. And as a parent, I find it to be the most important tool I have in my box, working with clients, working with families, just interacting with humans these days. It's so nice to be able to have some of these tools You can practice being non-judgmental and staying on, well, what is the fact before I lose my mind and overreact to a situation. So it's a wonderful toolbox for everything, I think.
0: I really like the emphasis on the skills building. Yes. And that pragmatic and practical application of these tools that you come away with. And the idea that you have this diary card where you're recording your work and you can come back and say, these are the incidents of dysregulation, of emotional dysregulation and difficulties that I've had. These are the tools that I utilized and these are the ones that worked or didn't work and here's the how and why of it. I think that people tend to appreciate that. I think with therapy, there can be a lot of ambiguity. Sure. About what is it that we're doing? right? And when you're talking about somebody who struggles with emotional dysregulation, people who have those conditions that are correlated with that, tools and the idea that there's a pathway that will empower you to get a handle on your own life, yep. that's pretty attractive.
1: Yes. And, and it just brings about a level of security and you can see somebody just kind of relax almost in that moment when you say, let's just practice this. Because you can tell somebody, all right, this is where we're hoping you can get. And they might identify, this is where I'm hoping to get. Well, h- how do you do that? And how do you know you're arrived? You know, so this kind of puts that in black and white so to speak. Um, And to put the, because you mentioned the diary card, so to put that into perspective for some people so that they understand it, like EMDR, which you do, there's target behaviors. So that's what that diary card is filled with. Somebody identifies things in their life that are getting in the way of having a life worth living. So if, if somebody's in treatment, it could be treatment interfering behavior, things that affect somebody so greatly they don't utilize the opportunity they have in front of them the most effective so we can identify treatment interfering behaviors life interfering behaviors people who get so dysregulated and cannot tolerate any type of distress that they're willing to harm themselves um and and think about taking themselves out so This helps that too, that there's a target behavior on that. And you can target some of those bigger things like anxiety or depression, you know. Um, So that diary card is so awesome because it, it allows a true collaborative experience with a person that they're taking some responsibility of identifying these things, tracking these things, and then practicing doing something different. And then you get to put your heads together again and look at it and, okay, how'd the skill work? Well, let's practice the skill again You kind of repetition and going through it. And somebody starts to see that, that number that was like, I'm at a 10 of discomfort is now coming down to like a five or a three. And some days they'll tell you, I didn't even think about it. And it's like just a joyous event. Um, so that diary card is so instrumental for both the therapist and the client.
0: You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I like about DBT personally, because I've only taken the initial course, the 18-hour course, which means that I'm qualified to integrate it and utilize it. Sure. But I can't, I wouldn't call myself a DBT therapist. Okay. Nor am I trying to be, right? Right. But there are so many transferable and useful tools that it's one of the, if you're an eclectic style therapist, and you utilize lots of different styles of interventions, It's DBT is a really good way to fill the toolbox with a bunch of tools because many of them are transferable into other modalities of therapy. Most definitely. So I work with a lot of people for anger management. It's one of the things I do. I think that there is a real kind of a convergence of some of the other work I do substance use disorders comes into it. Uh, a lot of these people that are coming to me from uh, for anger management have trauma history so we ultimately end up doing EMDR they're recreating some of these you know past dynamics and a lot of what their explosiveness is are these trauma responses So sprinkling in some of these DBT techniques, is actually really helpful
1: yes most stuff def- i bet god
0: right even yeah. though i'm not <clears throat> uh, treating borderline personality disorder clients specifically per se it still has application so what you what you basically taught me because you're one who focuses a lot you utilize the cope ahead a lot
1: love cope ahead <laughs>
0: <laughs> I work that in therapy. I remember you talking about it after we did the training and how you were applying that to clients that we we're working with together. Right. And I apply that to people in anger management. Right. And I conceptualize it that you need to set an intention. If you're going to a work meeting and you know that there's people in there that you don't like and you you have a tendency at times to be reactive to this supervisor or whoever it is. Set the intention, plan ahead for that, and think about how you want that to go.
1: Right.
0: And it's amazing, it's very simple yep. and seems almost like rudimentary advice. But that's the mindfulness thing. Most of us just kind of roll through Correct. these difficult yes. situations without really thinking about how we wanna show up for that.
1: Most definitely, or what's really pushing our button. You know, We just react an awful lot in a lot of situations. Um, so yeah, being mindful of, oh wait, I am definitely feeling uncomfortable right now. This is it. This is the moment that I usually lose my mind so I can do something different. So with cope ahead, the other one I love is opposite action to emotion mind. So where you usually go with your emotions, just do the opposite of that, and again, seems very simple and rudimentary, but if somebody's actually thinking about that and being mindful in that moment of that, then yeah, they take themselves right out of that reaction for a moment and they can do the opposite. What a difference, I mean, if you break that cycle up, you actually are rewiring your brain so your brain starts to learn a whole new way of responding to that situation and that stimuli. So it's almost an immediate gratification for those that are truly practicing mindfulness, which you and I know, having worked in treatment for so long, sometimes, you know, fight fire with fire and you need something that's going to quickly bring us back to the planet because it's so easy to go to something ineffective that can take us out of a moment. So yeah, most definitely. I'm glad that it works with the anger management pumpkins.
0: Well, it's those people that you work with in therapy who are prone to emotional dysregulation, Mm -hmm. right? And that's really sort of the target of dialectic behavior therapy, which was originally designed for the treatment of borderline personality disorder.
1: Correct, correct.
0: And these folks are prone to dysregulation. And the thing is, when you have a condition like that where you can be very reactive to other people yes you spend a lot of time in your life ringing bells that cannot be unwrought um,
1: correct <laughs> yes you know, it's out you, there now right
0: when you explode on someone yes, and you
1: can't take it back
0: kind of set fire to a relationship and then an hour later when you feel differently right You want to call them up and say, hey, can I get a do-over on that whole thing? I'm so sorry. Sorry about what I said about your parents. (laughs) Right. I don't really (laughs) want them both to die, you
1: know. (laughs) Right, yeah. I didn't mean that.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Never
1: mind, never Um, mind.
0: Okay, cool. (laughs) Right, You know, I guess we're good then. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. No, that's not.
1: Yeah, that's not how that works. It's
0: not how it is, especially if you have a track record of that really kind of pushing you into isolation because you burn all these bridges. And people, for their own self-preservation, have to distance themselves from folks that are essentially abusive. Right. So you don't want to be one of those people. No. Because as much as they are emotionally reactive, a lot of times, I think the origin for that is often just a hypersensitivity. Essentially, wanting people to like me. Correct. Wanting people to like me, wanting to be with people, wanting to have connections.
1: And having that fear that people are going to leave me. And they're not going to want to be connected to me. And then we we make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then we could say, see, I knew they were going to leave. And then you keep that going and they can't get that to stop.
0: Can you give us a little bit about the history of this thing?
1: Of DBT? Sure. Sure. I I mean, Marsha Linehan, anybody who wants to know about DBT needs to know Marsha Linehan. And uh, Marsha Linehan is someone who did her own therapy, you know, and felt that it, didn't do the job.
0: Um, Who who was she? What was she? Marsha
1: Linehan, Marsha Linehan is the woman who created dialectical behavior therapy. And this was born out of her own experience of struggling with a personality disorder. So Marsha was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. She was going to get some help. And it felt woefully unproductive to her. Anyone who has watched a video of Marsha or has listened to her or read anything, Marsha can be a fairly challenging um, personality. She could be a little arrogant, you know? So she didn't like how it was being treated, so she came up with a new treatment for this. And she put together dialectical behavior therapy, utilizing some of the cognitive behavioral therapy she was introduced to, and then brought in that portion that she needs to be mindful and she brought that Zen, that Buddhist flavor to it. So she created this module, this way in which we can address people who are struggling with the mood dysregulation with these four skill sets. And the umbrella is uh, a skill set for mindfulness, a skill set for um, distress tolerance, interpersonal effectiveness, and emotion regulation. And then under each of those four headings, she has different skills that help you develop mastery in them. And that that's the whole goal. If you are focused on, I wanna master this area in my life, well now we're taking the heat out of it, we're taking the power out of how we've always reacted so we can create a different way of interacting with the world, creating a life worth living and not burning everything down on the way out, which is how Marsha was living her life for a very long time. I mean, she wrote a book recently that's out that's called Life Worth Living, which is worth a read. It could be a little dry at times, but it's a good read on her life. So this is where DBT came from. It's so born from her.
0: Her book, A Life Worth Living, yes, is a book worth reading. Is
1: it? <laughs> yes, it is a book worth reading, yes.
0: You know, in my mind, that joke was a lot funnier than maybe it was. I may have well, to edit that out. I'm
1: a good audience. I'll laugh you at anything. You did. There. And I <laughs> appreciate that. But that, was a little,
0: that was a little bit of a dad joke.
1: I'm, well, you are a dad. It's okay. I, You're allowed to I have am, a dad joke.
0: Yeah, you know, look, the audience of the Good (laughs) Counsel podcast is used to a certain standard They
1: know you. They know you, so.
0: They do. Yes. Sorry, guys. They're
1: expecting these kind of jokes. Sorry,
0: guys, I had to. (laughs) So when was this? When did uh, her first.
1: When was that? The original
0: DBT book, right?
1: Yeah, I want to say it was in the 80s, the original DBT. I I don't remember the exact date. I want to say 85, 87, somewhere around there. Okay, so it's been a
0: minute. It's
1: been a minute, yes. We're
0: going on 40 years. And
1: she developed um, something called Behavioral Tech, which is their website, um, behavioraltech.org. And now, not only did she create this foundation of how we can better help people who are struggling with dysregulation and self-harming behavior but now she created a way to train everybody so that there's consistency in the approach because you and I both know we can all pick up a book read it and do it our way and it may not be the way it was intended to be presented we could do that with CBT we could do that with EMDR like if we're not following the protocol so she created a protocol she created a way to get people certified and have resources so there was continuity with what was going out there. So there was a a better, not only a better understanding, but better outcomes on how we were helping individuals that were struggling with this. And now this empire she created has morphed into creating other forms of DBT. So DBT for addiction, DBT for eating disorders, DBT for depression and anxiety, like specific for those areas, which is amazing i mean really what a phenomenal vision and it was born out of she hated how therapy was for her so she created something that she thought would work better for her and it's an amazing event so but her manual is important anybody who wants to understand dbt or truly be dbt adherent uh, you need to read her book and do the skills manual that goes with it so that you understand how this happens. So those four skills, mindfulness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and interpersonal effectiveness, you take turns. So you might start with teaching an individual about emotion regulation, and you go through all the skills under that heading, and then you follow that up with mindfulness, and you do all the skills for mindfulness. Then you do distress tolerance, do all the skills for distress Tolerance. Then you go back to mindfulness. So in between each of those, you always go back to mindfulness. So that's what's really getting driven home, staying present.
0: So give me an example of an intervention or a skill that would be taught for interpersonal effectiveness.
1: All right, let's see. Um, interpersonal effectiveness. So one would be dear man. Uh, so dear man is an acronym for helping someone check the facts. So that's another DBT colloquialism so uh you would just d is for describe you would describe a situation so it's an acronym it's an acronym for all the skills you're going to do to check the facts to make sure your emotions aren't taking over when you're involved in an interaction with someone so right you and i could have an interaction you might say something you have no idea that you said something that triggered the hell out of me, and now I'm having an internal reaction to it, and I can go in a million different directions and assume Eric said that to me to hurt my feelings, right? So, dear man is, well, wait a minute. Just, let's just describe it. We were just having a conversation. This is what Eric said. Okay, you know, then we check the expression, you know, how are we expressing in between the two of us, Um, and making sure that I'm coming back to the facts. is that his motive? Was that really what was going on? Or did you just have a response to it? So let's look at your response. And then you can map that back out with somebody on, okay, so what was that a trigger for? And where did you hear that before? And how have you responded to that before? And now we can play it backwards. And then somebody, once they see all the facts and understand why they reacted that way, now they can have a cope ahead plan the next time they're having an interaction with that person that may have hit a nerve for whatever reason. Um, many times we interact with people and they're wearing the heads of somebody else. You know, uh, We have unresolved feelings about our moms or our dads or ex-partners or friendships or bosses. And sometimes we translate that to somebody in the present tense and then we're not being fair in that moment with somebody we're treating them from history that they don't have with us so dear man is about coming back into the present tense and just let's just check all the facts
0: dear man the acronym what are the actual words
1: i'll tell you so it's describe express assert reinforce so that Those uh, four things are really in describing the interaction that happened. So you're just kind of going through the whole interaction using those four words. And then the man part is staying mindful, appearing confident and negotiating. So that's the part when you're coming back to talk to somebody, instead of having the reaction, how am I gonna stay mindful? I'm gonna be confident saying, when you said this it really hurt my feelings and i felt this because of that so you give the other person an opportunity to understand how you were inter interpreting what they had to say so that's that's how dear man works for interpersonal effectiveness we just slow a whole conversation down which could sound like crazy minutia and we can't always do that feel like we can do that in a minute but when somebody's really had a hard time interacting with people and constantly are reactive if you slow that whole thing down and break interactions apart somebody can really start to see some of the trends that they have and how no I'm not actually being present with somebody I'm responding to a million other things and then if somebody did hurt my feelings how can I say that well that's staying mindful being confident in how you're Doing that and then negotiating what I really need in this relationship so that we're communicating better. Does that make sense? What yeah, you say? totally.
0: I think, uh, in the absence of information, yes, we often just make up things, most definitely. make up information. It's almost like a malfunction in the human brain chip.
1: Yeah, it's like we can't have that empty, we have to fill in the empty.
0: Right, I am operating under the assumption that I'm supposed to know everything. Right. Including what you're thinking and your motivations for saying the things that you said. Correct. So in the absence of that actual information, I'm just going to fill in the blanks with whatever it is that happens to make sense to me at the, the moment. Exactly. If I'm operating from a place of emotional reasoning, meaning that the fact that I'm upset is what's going to drive whatever that story is. Right. And that, it's that emotional content that's going to create the story, it's probably gonna be an emotional story. Yes,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this is why this, why DBT and why this skill works on so many different levels. Because if you're talking to a family, you know, who has a loved one that's been sick for a really long time, they have created their own dialogue in their head as to how we got here, why it is, and how they may or may not be at fault for some things. So they're constantly in this reactive place and they don't always get the same amount of help as the person that went to treatment or is going to therapy or is seen as the identified unhealthy one in the family. So for even a parent or you know any family member, being able to explain this to them and slow things down for them, It's an amazing thing because then everybody is changing a dynamic and not adding to the history or rewriting history or putting in their own take of what that was. They're actually coming back to, oh, no, that's what happened. It's very cool.
0: Yeah, I think even stepping back and describing, right? Yes. So like in EMDR, we focus a lot on I want to keep you in the right brain. I want to keep you in the feeling, emotional, emotional, If you go into left brain, you're into the story and the analytics and we're kind of losing this opportunity to desensitize and reprocess trauma. Right. I think DBT is sort of the opposite. Yes. We want to get you out of the right brain emotional reasoning and emotional interpretation of what's going on. Correct. Into a more mindful and logical place. Correct. Where we can tone down the intensity and emotionality of what this conversation is.
1: Indeed, and then the piece that DBT does is then brings it into the happy medium with the wise mind, which is, it's an and both. And both are there. You are having this feeling, and there's another way of looking at it, there's another side to the coin, we can bring the whole sucker down, doesn't mean you can't have that feeling, we can just find another way to handle that feeling. So it really does a lovely job of marrying those two things.
0: You are having the feeling, and you're going to feel a lot better if you calm down.
1: Yes, (laughs) yes. Without telling someone to calm down, because that never works. It only escalates a human being. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you've
0: got a little roadmap about how to calm down. And I think it starts literally with the word describe. Describe. Because if I'm describing, I actually have to stop and think about what words describe what happened. Correct. And that takes me right into the left brain. Yeah. Right? I'm into an analytical situation, I have to describe something, I have to think about what happened.
1: Whole switch went off, yeah.
0: And I think that that action itself probably just tampers down some of the intensity in these experiences.
1: Indeed, and just for therapists that are doing this, know that initially when you're trying to get someone to do the describe, they wanna keep going back to the feeling. Because that's that's that intensity, that feeling, that ability to lose my mind is the instant gratification. That's the pressure valve that they desperately need to let go of. So you're going to frustrate somebody initially of, no, 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 I just want to come back. We're checking the facts. Let's just come back to describe. So for the clinician to stay very mindful and patient and know, I know I'm asking you to do something that seems the opposite of what you want to do in this situation to tell me and to vent the whole thing. So... It is, it, is, it is hard for people to initially do that, um, and then we give that space of, okay, express the feeling, okay. But now it's not fueled with the same level of agitation or homicidal ideation or hurt that the person was initially interpreting it as.
0: No, that's really interesting and practical.
1: Yes, Yes, and but I do think for therapists sometimes, uh, you know, we we find a new skill and we get very excited about it, and it doesn't always take right away. So being patient of this is a, a practice. This is, we're trying to retrain someone. We're trying to, get them out of what really has met a need for a long time. So, validating that is very important, and letting someone know I am taking something away for a minute and we're going to find another way to get that need met. I promise you, you're going to get back to that, but I just need you to try something a little different for a moment. So it is really hard, and we are taking away some of the coping skills, as ineffective as they are, have been sustaining a person for a while. And if we all come at this from a trauma lens, because most people, we have trauma, you know, so know that if we take something away we have to put something in place so this skill building is really so important because you're putting something in place it's kind of the scaffolding we're kind of putting in place so that somebody can really then hit all those traumatic thoughts and feelings without self-destruction or without destroying somebody else because of it
0: i love that yeah and i think that that's such a phenomenal goal yeah in the experience I have with people who've been treated with DBT, it seems like most people, having learned lots and lots of different skills, will kind of hone in on a few that are their go-tos that really sort of work for them. Yes,
1: yeah, most definitely.
0: Right, there are those more sensory people who might do the bit with holding the ice cube. Ice cube, yep. Right, and What's the purpose of holding an ice cube?
1: that is just to take you out. It's again, taking that switch that you were talking about before. So we're taking somebody out of that emotional override that's happening. They're completely getting lost in the dysregulation. So if you're holding an ice cube, you're now dealing with a physical sensation without hurting yourself. So again, it's a physical way of bringing yourself back. It's a grounding technique to come out of all that angst that's happening that's overwhelming and terrifying just to come back to the planet for a minute now you're feeling your hand hurt holding the ice but you're not actually doing damage now you're back now you're grounded now we can have a conversation now you can put the ice cube down let's talk about what just happened
0: and technically that could almost be an alternative for
1: self-harm. Most definitely. It's a great alternative for self-harm. And again, it works so well for individuals who are struggling with that because the bewitching hours for self-harm are usually... In the middle of the night, at night, when nobody else is around, you know, not when therapy sometimes is happening. So, in a treatment setting, this is a wonderful thing for people who are living there because it's happening at the end of the day when therapy is over. Now you're back at your apartment. So, you can go to the refrigerator, the freezer, and go get that ice cube and just bring yourself down instead of going to the bathroom and maybe cutting or taking all your medication or waking your roommate up to scream at them until they're screaming back and then you have a reason to lash out and hurt them and yourself. You know, So it's a wonderful tool for that bewitching time when people aren't maybe available to talk it out or to help. You can actually do it yourself.
0: I'm glad we kind of rolled into this part of the conversation. Yeah. Because I think the idea of self-harm is something that a lot of people are hearing more about. Yes. You're hearing lots more about that than perhaps you did 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. And I don't think it's even always associated with borderline personality disorder even Correct. though that's one of those sort of descriptors and now they call it non-suicidal self-harm. Right. Which can be symptomatic of any one of a number of different conditions yes or comorbid with them so you're seeing a lot of people acting out in that way yeah and to the point dialectic behavior therapy these are offering or this type of therapy is offering specific interventions to target that so when we're talking about skills building and emotional dysregulation we're talking about that someone is so dysregulated or upset or distraught in the middle of the night that they want to take out a razor and start cutting themselves to release that pain and that's a a behavior that A good number of people with mental health issues, they do this. Right. And that these sets of interventions, particularly this one, are intended to target that behavior. And if that tool didn't work, there's like an arsenal of other skills that we'll go through in DBT to find the one that will reduce the incidents
1: correct and that's something you're doing with an individual you're going through a safety plan so for those that part of the reason they're getting dbt is because they have the self-harming behavior they have life interfering behavior you put together targets for each of those life interfering behaviors they've done and you you create a cope ahead plan for each of them so, somebody has an ability to come back and ground in the moment, like with an ice cube, and then they have a cope ahead plan. Okay, so when this happened and I needed to get the ice cube, my next thing was I needed to pick up the phone and call A, B, and C. You know, I needed to go to the journal and write down A, B, and C. I need to go to my diary card, write down what happened right before this um, that I needed to go for the ice cube. So, you're giving people. A way of not only staying safe in the moment, but also utilizing another set of skills to kind of keep creating a plan of having more and more understanding of how they got there so that they can stay ahead of that and we're not always getting to that point, which brings such um, relief to a family also. When a family is learning that their loved one is learning something like this, this is something you could do with the family because the family has almost their own way of responding to a human when that's going on somebody that I love wants to hurt themselves or cut themselves and I don't understand why they want to do this and I think they want to kill themselves and they're trying to tell me I don't want to die I just don't want to feel like this anymore and I don't know what else to do this gives a family a blueprint they have a grounding set of tools to do also sometimes they need to grab an ice cube and let's not panic let's not freak out let's come back to the planet and let's together a cope-ahead plan of how we're gonna talk about this with your loved one so we know the next step to take and we're gonna see this a lot more right now uh, because our younger people have been inundated I mean between the pandemic and the isolation that brought and the levels of anxiety and depression we're seeing in young people the amount of substance use and self-harming behavior we're seeing as a coping mechanism because I mean, are, I, the world sometimes feels like it is literally falling apart, that things that we used to depend on aren't there anymore. And everybody is so busy being angry and mad. We've got all these younger people of, well, what the hell do I do with this? So we're going to see a lot of this right now.
0: Don, I actually feel like the world is falling apart. <laughs> the,
1: well, it, I know. It is literally some days falling apart. I know I say that tongue-in-cheek and I'm wanting to have hope that Whenever we're in moments like this, something glorious really does come out of it and we can only become better. But I do think that's, that's a DBT assumption that we, we have to have hope that all is not lost and, and there is a way in which to get to the other side. And I do think DBT is going to be very helpful for our adolescents right now who are really struggling.
0: I think that's a great point. And again, to going back to really the introduction, Yes. The fact that you're offering something like this and that it's available through telemed, it, yeah. that DBT is a treatment that can be utilized yes. through telemedicine is a really great thing because we'll be able to touch people mm-hmm. that maybe because of where they're living wouldn't have access to someone who's a specialist.
1: Correct. and And we're touching people who I think... Individuals and families who sometimes want to avoid dealing with some of this, you know, it does feel like an arduous task uh, and denial is great. And sometimes people choose not to want to get in the car and go to therapy or they find a reason they're going to miss a session. Telemedicine kind of takes some of that excuse out too. Well, I'm available where you're available. Um, You don't have to get to me. We're just going to get together. Uh, and it's it's very helpful that way, uh, taking some of that excuse out.
0: We you too sick to walk into the office?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. You, you too sick
0: to walk into the guest room in your own house?
1: Exactly. You can. Like you pick don't want to get phone. up out
0: of the bedroom and walk into the other room. Oh well, we could do it on the phone now. So there's no office at all.
1: And it's wonderful for families because if you have the whole family that's there, you can get in the middle of this and work out an argument that just happened by using all these skills, which is really fairly fantastic. And having them in their own environment, sometimes you get a nice bird's eye view of how everything's set up and how they really are interacting with one another because they're in the comfort of their area. It's excellent. It's really quite helpful.
0: That's a good thing. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the interpersonal effectiveness yes we talked about some of the emotional dysregulation tools and you mentioned about mindfulness which is sort of the thread that kind of holds it all together right yes tell us a little bit about what might be like a mindfulness skill all
1: right so let's see there's a you can do a a million things with mindfulness but the simplest one would be um you know, we, I'm sure most therapists have used a grounding technique where you have somebody put their feet flat on the floor, floor their hands on the chair. So a nice mindfulness skill is just having somebody be present with their body where they feel the chair with their hands and they have to describe what it feels like or close their eyes and tell me all the things you hear that are going on in the room and when your mind drifts off on something just know that it's drifting off and pull it on back and then keep going. So that's mindfulness. Mindfulness is our minds drift off regularly. Anybody listening Right now, whose mind has drifted off. You can notice your mind drifted off. Now pull yourself back and come back to this present moment again. That's the mindfulness trick. So we can do it with anything of just utilizing all of our senses to just come into the moment. Eating is another one. Sometimes we eat and we didn't taste any of our food. Our food could be gone and we have no idea we finished our plate. We're somewhere else. So actually just putting a mouthful in your mouth and Feeling it in your mouth, telling yourself what are all the flavors? Did I ever notice that before? Swallowing, how does my stomach feel? You know, just slowing the whole process down. That's that's mindfulness.
0: You remember the old show with David Carradine, Kung Fu?
1: Yes, the I original do. one. We have now aged ourselves, Eric. On <laughs> Kung I don't know food. how many people I'm
0: fooling, but. I So the show Kung Fu uh, from back in the late 70s, early 80s, starring David Carradine as Kwai Chang Kane, who was a Shaolin monk that came to the United States during the Old West. And it flashes back a lot to his teachings in the Shaolin Temple, where he grew up there. And so a lot of that Shaolin, the spiritual parts of it mindfulness is I think rooted in some of that Buddhism you know all all of that that culture and spiritual teaching and there's this one it's a mindfulness exercise right it uh-huh. comes right out so there's young Kwai Chang Kane a student in the temple and he's very sad he's crying and his master his um his teacher, Master Poe, who is blind, comes upon him and hears him crying. He's like, hey, he calls him Grasshopper. He says, "Grasshopper, why, why so sad?" And he said, "I'm feeling very lonely. I'm feeling very much alone, and I'm sad." And he said, "Do you hear the wind?" He said, "Yes." No, he says, "What do you hear?" He says, I hear the wind. And then he said, Do you hear the bird? He said, I hear the bird. Do you hear the water running? And look, I hear the water running, whatever it was. And he says, How can you be lonely? How can you be so lonely in such a crowded place?
1: Right. This is amazing. That's amazing, right? What a. That's amazing that that was in that TV show, but that's it. That's mindfulness.
0: The whole TV show is that. Yes. And it was uh, you know, the late 70s and early 80s whenever it was, somewhere right. back in there. And the whole show is that when they flash back, it's all Shaolin teachings. Yep. And pretty creative ways of you know, demonstrating those to where if you watch it, it's not hokey or Hollywood. You really can kind of take it in kind a little of, bit.
1: Yeah, could feel it.
0: I mean, that was so many years ago, and I remember seeing it.
1: Right, it's stuck in your brain.
0: My first orientation to, to something mindfulness. about mindfulness.
1: Yeah. <laughs> See, my, my initial teachings of mindfulness um, in DBT is Star Wars, and those of in our life that know both me and you, Eric, know how much I love Star Wars, but Star Wars is DBT. It is the dialectic. The dialectic is two opposing things living in the same space. So we all have a dark side and we all have a light side, and it's just making the peace between the two, which makes us a Jedi. But um, the mindfulness, I mean, we see Luke do the mindfulness where he can't see and he has to try to hit that ball that really is about being mindful, just clearing everything else and just being present in the moment. That actually you do, you are taking in things all the time, we just don't realize how much we're taking in all the time.
0: Do you wanna hear a really funny Yoda anecdote? Sure. I know you're a big Yoda person, yes, but I this is you. funny. Okay. So in the Hulu series that's out right now, called The Dropout, okay, and it's the story of Elizabeth Holmes, who is the founder of Theranos, which was a medical lab testing, home lab testing company that defrauded people and really it hurt a lot of people because they sold a bogus product that people were actually utilizing to make important medical decisions. And they kind of knew what they were doing and they marketed it and sold it and all of these things and, Got in a lot of trouble. Right. Anyway, early on, Elizabeth Holmes, who is this very driven and determined woman, who is bound to see this thing succeed no matter what, she's having a conversation with a professor, a Stanford professor, also a woman, a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to explain to her her vision. And the Stanford professor says something about try or something, and the Elizabeth Holmes character, masterfully played by Amanda Siegfried. Like, Siegfried? Siegfried? She yeah. was awesome. She says, do or do not. There is no try. Yes. And so the doctor turns around to her and said, listen, Yoda, <laughs> for all of his all-seeing, all-knowing wisdom, or... She says, "If Yoda is all seeing and all knowing, then how come he doesn't understand grammar or syntax?"
1: (laughs) That's funny. That was really funny. It was
0: phenomenal line. Right. You know that um, Roseanne, the Roseanne Bar show, the old Roseanne. It's the sister Jackie. Yes. Is the one who plays the Stanford professor. Oh really?
1: Oh, that's a great actress. She's She's a great
0: actress. actress. And I only know her from the Roseanne Roseanne. Barr show, Roseanne. And she plays this kind of goofy, you know, the butt of every joke in that show. And in this show, she's this really, you know, she's a Stanford professor, this really brilliant, serious researcher. Right. And it's a departure. And she delivers the line. And you really take it. So it was phenomenal. It's a phenomenal interaction between the. Uh... That's
1: awesome. I'm going to have to watch that.
0: Yeah, it's worth watching. Yeah. It's not uplifting. No. I mean, you see this woman who's obviously brilliant and yeah. super capable, and her blind ambition to succeed, and how she just does these horribly unethical things. Yeah. And again, masterfully played by Amanda Siegfried. Um, they show clips of the actual Elizabeth Holmes saying things oh, wow. and then Amanda the actress doing... doing the same things. I mean, she really... She's yeah. going to win some sort of she award for this performance. It's incredible.
1: That's amazing. That's awesome.
0: Hulu has done a couple of really good ones. Yes. The whole... Uh, miniseries they did about Purdue Pharma yes and the Sackler family hmm did you check that out dope sick it's called
1: yeah I haven't simply because it makes me so incredibly devastated
0: it's hard to watch and I know why yeah right you and I both have worked with clients in substance use disorders we both know a lots lots and lots of people who have been impacted by overdose
1: right We've um, seen the devastation of what the Sackler family has done.
0: Totally. And this is this is the origin story of it all. And it shows them in the boardroom. It shows them making the decisions. It shows them really kind of creating propaganda and misinformation that ultimately was adopted by the medical community where they started to refer to pain as the fifth vital sign and all of these things so that people were doing pain assessments as a means to promote the possible use of OxyContin. And they were being taught that this is proper medical practice. And it was all generated right. by a pharmaceutical company and sort of embedded into medical culture and how these people were communicating with patients. It's it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I bet.
0: But Hulu <clears throat> did an incredible job with that one too. And there is a little bit of feel good in the end. There's some vindication uh, because they get to the part where Purdue Pharma was held culpable. Right. And they were never held as culpable, not nearly as they should have been. Correct. Even with the lawsuits, um, even with the settlement that they made. Correct. That really. I mean, it's billions of dollars and it sounds like a lot of money, but to them, it's actually it's not. Nothing. And the deal they made will protect them from future prosecution. Yes. So... Which
1: is disgusting. It, disgusting. disgusting.
0: They, they got off in a way that they should not have. But the show yeah. itself just in terms of an educational standpoint like what was going on in the coal mines of West Virginia right and these people from these towns
1: yeah um, i'll yeah. have to watch it at some point it's just so hard because down here i mean being in south florida i mean i feel like we're at the epicenter of the opiate pandemic <laughs> Uh, it's really it's just been horrific
0: they show a little bit of that because we had the pill mills here yes so it shows people coming down here from west virginia the pillbillies they were called it's um yeah that was the that was the the term and they were coming from places like west virginia and um i think tennessee and you know places like that where it's there are smaller regions, and it's hard to find pharmacies to get right. opioids. Came
1: down here and got what they needed.
0: So they show a little bit of that, and but the show itself was incredible. Yes,
1: that's Michael Keaton one. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah, I watched his his acceptance speech, which I cried listening to it, just knowing how much he's been touched by the opiate world, losing he his nephew.
0: Was amazing that's what I hear he yeah. plays a doctor a small you know like a country doctor yeah. who was beloved by the town and he gets hooked yep on uh, Oxycontin because he got an injury he got in a car accident and just gradually in the sort of sneaky just insidious way yeah. that addiction proliferates in people it all happened to him and before he knew it he was you know, trade doing unethical things with his patients and trading drugs with people and he was just so hooked and
1: it's devastating.
0: But in the show, you know, it showed him working through getting sober and it didn't happen for him the first time right which I thought was great that they did it that way. I'm glad because he's a fictitious character. yeah that they did it that way so it doesn't have the Hollywood ending. They right. showed more of what would be, a real struggle. Go he went ahead. on Suboxone for a while, wow. and then had to make this choice of whether or not to come off of Suboxone because he wouldn't be able to get a medical license if he continued to take it, and he Ugh. wanted to practice again. So he ended up having to overcome all of that. So it was a really cool and nuanced story.
1: I'm glad it seems a little bit more true to form. Of well, that's this why. isn't an easy thing to overcome.
0: No, and that's why I sort of reselling it to you here. Yeah, because. I hear it. It's really worth a look, even though... I didn't want to look at it either. I definitely don't... I don't like the way the opioid epidemic is sensationalized or aggrandized by the media. It's not necessarily healthy, right? And it doesn't speak to... I don't think it honors the kinds of suffering that you actually witness when you work with people who suffer this. It feels sort of distasteful is the word that comes to mind. Okay. But this show, I kind of feel like they really went all out to not do the sensational part and to really get you in touch with who these people are. Yeah. These West Virginia coal miners and what they live with and the kinds of pain and injuries they suffer and how they were so easily victimized by this pain medication that was falsely marketed to be non-addictive
1: so sad really i mean i'll have to sit when i can be mm, somewhat detached emotionally because having watched people i mean i have the luxury that i've i've actually seen the miracles of the people that have gotten to the other side and have created sobriety but my goodness what the bumpy road to get there i mean it is such an arduous exhausting task to watch somebody, but and then to talk to their family—I mean, just the trickle-out devastation that occurs. It's not just that person, and it, it's just—I I get overwhelmed by things like that, you know. So, and and you know, I'm I'm an emotional human, so it doesn't take much for me to be bursting out into tears. So I have to be in a in emotional headspace, be like, okay, I'm in for the ride, buckle up.
0: Some of my favorite. Clients yeah. that I have. I mean, look, I love everybody that I work with, right? right. But some of the people I really enjoy working with, yes, it, it has a special meaning to me, are these behavioral health techs. Yes. Because a lot of them are these products of this system that came here from other places to overcome this. Yeah. They got sober, stable off of opioids, and are now... Try to make some contribution yes to helping other people right. so they're working in these treatment centers and for anybody who's ever been or doesn't know what a counselor assistant or a behavioral health tech does it's such a difficult job Ugh. i mean you get paid what you might make working in the mall and you're basically if you're on the 4 to 12 shift you're kind of it's going to be you and a couple other people managing an entire facility yeah. full of substance use disordered individuals through dinner right. and bedtime and right. taking you know making sure they take medications and being on top of things in case uh, any crisis occurs it's a hell of a job oh
1: my goodness i've done
0: it it's it's a it's a job
1: that was one of my first jobs. I was the overnight tech for uh, an adolescent girls halfway house on Long Island. I, I mean they, they worked me over up one side, down the other. I mean I was way over my head with that bunch. But did I learn a lot? Totally. But. Uh, the amount of responsibility a behavioral tech, a CA, a counselor assistant has is incredible, and I have to say, in all my experiences in working with treatment centers, <coughs> it, you know, hanging with the techs is everything. It's, they really are the backbone. If and if that team is a healthy team, and they're part of the team, and they're getting information, and they're included in how. Things are going for a client, man, do they make all the difference. I mean, in two facilities that I worked in, one with you, including the counselor's assistance in learning DBT was immensely important because they were there at the bewitching time. So you have somebody that understands how this works and can sit with somebody. It's just remarkable. I I love techs. And I always feel for them because knowing why I went into being a tech um, and the demons I was trying to overcome and how I was trying to give back and I thought I had all this to offer and then Meeting somebody who didn't want to hear anything I had to say and was not grateful for a minute of my time, and still, you know, showing up the next day and giving it all you got again, um, is just an amazing grouping of human beings. I mean, yeah, I, you get
0: treated like the help. You sometimes. you do
1: you do you don't always get considered as the team, and it they are all about the team. My goodness, yeah. Some of my favorite people I still stay in touch with. Most of the techs I've ever worked with, which I'm very proud of.
0: Well, when you talk to the, the patients themselves and they complete a program, yes. at the end, yes. when they're talking about the people in the program that made the difference, yes, they're naming yeah. behavioral health techs.
1: Yes, they are.
0: And who sat with them at night when they were Yes, they are. having a an enormously difficult time and wanted to leave yes because that's when it always happens right, right? it doesn't happen at nine o'clock in right. the morning it happens at nine o'clock at night
1: right or three o'clock in the morning and that tech that's on did a wonderful job of doing a pause button for that person before they made a, an awful decision
0: sat with them long enough to change the mood it's pretty amazing it is amazing so if you're a behavioral health tech out we love you we love you and this is uh this is everything you're everything from don to chico and eric we think you're we think you're awesome
1: yes know that you are you are the what's the word i'm looking for you are the reason treatment works
0: Yeah. yeah A hundred percent. Treatment
1: centers can't function without their behavioral techs.
0: A hundred percent. And the
1: stronger that grouping is, the healthier that grouping is, and the more informed that grouping is, oh my goodness, then, then you have a powerhouse on your hands. Yeah. 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 Families, when they're going to facilities and checking them out, that's who families need to be talking to, some of the behavioral techs.
0: It's really cool because... A lot of those folks, uh, you see them evolve yes. over the years, and you know. So those are some of the young therapists that are working here yes. in this building that started private practices exactly behavioral health techs a few years ago, right? And now they're doing this, and now it's cool to yeah. be part of that.
1: Most definitely, and it's so fun to watch it too. Watch just just the, how they transform. Um, I so enjoy that. That's one of my favorite things is supervision
0: that's one of the things that really has me excited about what's going on over here at the 4400 north federal highway building where i practice there's a lot of therapists here we have a facebook group of like 25 of them yes and a lot of them are younger folks that are newer in private practice and they're all here and being around people like that it's very energizing they're super cool people i'm trying to socialize with some of these guys we're making plans doing things that's awesome um and it's nice to be around an environment like that it almost has the feel that you work at a center with a team of people yes even though we're not necessarily working together right at least they're around and you get to see other people and run into them between sessions and you know eat lunch once in a while and maybe make a plan for outside of work it's really cool
1: and it reminds you why you got into this and how excited you were about some things and I love um chewing on a case client case and hearing how they're conceptualizing something and saying well have you ever thought of it this way and oh it's just so much fun to watch the wheels start turning and how invested they are in trying to come up with some creative ways to really help people in their pain it's awesome that's awesome. I'm I'm jealous you got all these guys here because I know a whole bunch of them.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I, I've loved working um, with all of them. That's what I... Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And my hope, too, ultimately is like using the podcast, too, to kind of bring attention to the work that some of my friends and these people around me are doing. and yeah. You know, it's it's good. It's
1: That's awesome. I love that.
0: So... Dawn, we, uh, we covered a lot of ground, and I we really did. appreciate you coming in here and doing this with me. It was fantastic. Thank
1: you for having me. I appreciate it. I
0: feel like we hit the targets, and that yeah. anyone who would listen to this would probably have a much better understanding of what dialectic behavior therapy is. I hope so. And why it exists yeah. than maybe they would have had before they listened to it. So. And I
1: hope they go check it out and yeah. kind of see how they can utilize it in their own life and how it just it's just so lovely. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Good. I'm. I'm hoping I gave it. It's just due that I gave the, the excitement behind it and the passion I have for it.
0: I think so. I think so. So, anything more? Do you want? Is there anything, for you, your practice? Anything you want to put out there, let people know about?
1: Um. I mean, for me. Um. For anybody who's listening, who is a therapist or is learning how to become a therapist. Uh, I love talking about this, so people are always welcome to reach out to me. I'm always willing to talk about it and share my experience, strength and hope. Whoops. so I'm always available so you can find me my website is www.flpresto.com and that's how you can find me that's my website and you can learn more about me um, and you can always find me at you can email me at dawn at flpresto.com um, and I'll always respond to an email but I'm I'm always up for talking about it and sharing what has worked what hasn't worked and how you might be able to get this going in your own world so you think we hit everything you think we hit some good stuff
0: totally don thank you so much for coming in i think we did a really good job you were awesome as expected and uh i think this is great
1: thank you so much it was fun talking to you